Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 66. Do the Brewers need a new stadium? Wow. American Family Field Rehabilitation Bill was a big topic of discussion on Twitter yesterday. Rob Manford was in Milwaukee. We'll talk about that. The Brewers take a series from the World Series champions, the reigning World Series champions, lose to San Francisco last night. Nice debut from Julio Tehran. We'll break that down. In the NFL, the Packers are getting the draft in 2025. Green Bay feeling a draft. Am I right or am I right? We'll also talk a little bit about the organized team activities that started. Aaron Rodgers has an injury in New York, apparently an ankle injury. And the Heat and Celtics going to six in Miami, which really feels like a game seven for Miami. No movement on the Bucks' head coaching search. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, court 15, 10, 5, Smash up the middle, face hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, and intercepted. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, knocked away, and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul on a pinnacle ball, throws it down. Swinging fly ball. This American Family Field topic went crazy yesterday on Twitter. This went from a very low-key conversation at the beginning of the year to in about 12 hours, there was the WISN report, and they were the only ones reporting it for a while, that Major League Baseball had contacted Milwaukee and the Brewers management and said, if you don't fix these things, then Milwaukee's going to lose its baseball team. Basically, a fixed... AmFam Field or else. Dun, dun, dun. And then it went bananas on Twitter and Facebook, and everybody was freaking out. Are we going to lose the Brewers? Are the Brewers going to leave town in six years? Everybody just take a deep breath, okay? What was interesting, and we talked about this. When did we talk about this on the podcast? I think it was when the Aaron Rodgers thing was happening. And we talked about it in the context of social media where we got to experience an aging Hall of Fame quarterback on his way out with some acrimony with management and an up-and-coming quarterback about to become the starter. And we got to live it in the social media realm. And we talked about that in the context of 2008 where when the whole Favre thing was happening, Twitter wasn't really a thing. It was, but it wasn't. Same with Facebook and Instagram wasn't a thing and TikTok obviously wasn't a thing. We didn't really get to experience that in the social media era. And I often think about not just sports stuff, but historical stuff and think, God, what would have happened if that would have gone down when Twitter was as big as it is now? How would the reactions have been with the social media component on top of everything else? Well, we kind of got to do the stadium debate yesterday. We got to relive 1995 and 2023. If you would have told me when I was 11 years old in 1995 that I'd one day be blogging about a similar topic as it relates to the new stadium, 
I would have asked you, what is a blog? I would have said, how am I blogging? What is a blog? And am I blogging as I'm also the starting point guard for the Charlotte Hornets? How will I be balancing those two things? Because one of them I'll clearly be doing. Not sure what this blog thing is all about. But it really was. We really got to relive the stadium debate in the social media era yesterday. Small sample size, and I think this one will fade away. And I don't think there's any danger of the Brewers ever leaving Milwaukee. I would put it at a point zero 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 one percent chance. You always have to have a little bit just in case something does happen. But it's not like it was then. And again, I was 11 years old when the debate happened about needing a new stadium. And if we don't build a new stadium, the likelihood is the Brewers are going to leave. And then you went back all the way to the 60s when the Braves left and how hard it was just to get a franchise back four or five years later when the Pilots left Seattle and that whole storyline. But I was 11 years old when that debate happened in 1995. And they had the vote at the state Senate level on the five-county tax. That's how they were going to pay for Miller Park. The whatever they are. What are, what are the five counties? Milwaukee, Ozaki, Racine County, is Kenosha County? I don't even know. The five counties in that area were all going to pay a sales tax that would help build Miller Park over the course of, it ended up being 25 or 26 years. It was supposed to only be in place for about 20 years. And honestly, as a side note, I don't know how they just didn't keep that thing going. Just keep it going. That was supposed to expire in 2014, the five county sales tax. And they kept it going until 2020. And there was really no reason for that to happen. And I'm sure, I don't know, but I know, you know, one of those things. We don't know, but we know. They kept that till going for six years beyond when it was supposed to. And I guarantee you that money was not going to all of the bond payment and all the excess stuff for Miller Park or maybe even rehabilitation improvements and fixing things on Miller Park already in 2014, 2014 through 2020. Some of that money was going somewhere else. And no one noticed it. No one had any idea. No one had any clue. It could have just kept it going in perpetuity. And then if they were smart, now I know that's a qualification to this whole conversation of if you kept the five-county tax going, they would have to be smart with the money they were getting and bank it and then use it appropriately for the rehabilitation and the fixing of certain things at AmFam Field now. But they could have just kept it going and no one would have had a clue. But in 1995, that was the debate, and it was George Petak, Republican. He was a Racine representative. He flipped his vote in the 11th hour, and then that made it 16 to 15 in favor of the five-county tax. It was passed. Petak then lost his seat. Racine constituents were not pleased with him flipping his vote because he promised them it was a George H.W. Bush. I promise no new taxes. And then two years later, (laughs) whoopsie-daisy. So the same thing happened where he said he would not vote for it. And he said later that it became clear to him that they were going to lose the Brewers if they didn't approve this, and he flipped his vote and then promptly lost his seat. But without George Petak, Miller Park never happens. There are so many things that had to happen for Miller Park to exist as it does now and for the Brewers to still be in Milwaukee. Bud Selig is at the forefront of the whole thing in the Selig family, but... A great debt is owed. If you enjoy going to concerts or games at Miller Park or you love the Brewers like I do and you watch the games and you're heavily invested in the franchise, George Petek, I'm surprised he doesn't have a statue outside of Miller Park because that was the vote that did it. And then I remember as a kid thinking stupidly, which most most kids are when they're thinking, I remember thinking that that was going to be it. The Brewers were staying. They were getting this brand new shiny stadium, and this stadium would last for 200 years. This this would be like the pyramids. This would be like it would it would just last forever until the end of time. This is the last stadium the Brewers will need. And a part of me still feels that way because it doesn't feel like it opened that long ago, but 
it was 22 years ago. I was a senior in high school. I was at North High in my senior year of my junior year when they had opening day 2001 at Miller Park, at the when it was actually named Miller Park. That's a long time ago. A lot of my hopes and dreams have died in this very studio that I'm recording this podcast. They're over in the corner with a bunch of broken down batteries and transmitter equipment. It's just a whole clutter of things over there. But that was a long time ago. And it is just hard to fathom, and I put this in the blog yesterday, it is kind of hard to fathom because it doesn't feel that old, even though it is 22 years old. It feels like it's 10 years old. It's hard to fathom that we are already at a point where we're talking about, what, about 450 to $500 million of repairs. And if you hop into the Reddit subthreads, which I would never recommend doing, but if you have time and you really want to get into the weeds and go into a wormhole, there are already discussions there about what's the next stadium going to be. It feels like we just did this. But I was a kid when all that happened, and now it gets built, and then we're 22 years already in the rearview mirror of the stadium opening in April of 2001, and apparently it does need some fixing. The storyline has escalated very quickly. If you recall, it must have been January or February. That was the first time John Q. Public had really heard about the stadium needing a large cash infusion to help renovate it, rehabilitate it, fix some things. I'm assuming a lot of that has to do with the roof. No other stadium has done a roof the way that Miller Park or Ampan Field has their roof. And because it's a one of a kind, I'm assuming there's wear and tear there. And anybody that has anything that's one of a kind or a small number of these things were made, if you have, I don't know how many, what's our cross section on the Strange Brew podcast with people that drive high end limited quantity sports cars. But if you have something like that, you know if you need something fixed, it is quite pricey to find the equipment, the parts, and for somebody that actually has the working knowledge to be able to fix it and to work on it. My assumption is a lot of this money, a lot of this capital needs to be raised to repair the roof and the hydraulic system for this one-of-a-kind thing. But anyway, it is just, it's still hard to believe that we are at a point now where we're talking about new stadiums and $450 million in renovations and all that kind of stuff. But it was very interesting to watch the whole thing play out on social media. You got to relive the whole thing of people being upset about taxpayers having to pay for billionaires' toys, which I get. We got a text about that on the B93 text line this morning. Look, it's hard to argue that point. You've got a billionaire owner. And that's across sports, not just Mark Atanasio. There is a little quirk in this specific story where, because of the five-county tax, the county owns Miller Park, I'm pretty sure. There's some weird ballpark subsidiary name that actually has a board that owns the rights to Miller Park. Mark Atanasio does not own Miller Park. So for those out there that say, well, why can't Mark Atanasio use some of his billions of dollars to just fix the stadium for the team that he purchased? There's some legality issues there. Now, could he make a donation or something like that? Sure. But it is not Mark. The Atanasio family, they do not actually own Miller Park. But that's a component in this story as well. But it is, it got, we got to relive the whole thing with uh, why should the taxpayers have to pay for that? That's a fair point. And I always feel caught in that conversation because I agree with that. It doesn't make sense on paper that a taxpayer would have to pay for, would have to pay to repair an arena that is not in this case, but in a lot of cases owned by a billionaire owner. But then in the same breath, I love the Brewers and I would do anything to keep the Brewers, you know? I understand how weird it is that average people would have to pay for this billion-dollar operation and million-dollar athletes, but I also love the person. I love the Bucks, and I want them to stay, and I want to go to the games. 
But it played out like that on Twitter all day yesterday of people going back and forth about how the taxpayers going to have to pick up the bill. And those were all the debates that were happening in TV interviews and newspaper articles in 1995. It was interesting to relive that in a social media age. Now, where does this all end up? There's a lot of political maneuvering happening here, I'm sure. So we remember this started in January or February. That's the point we're at. We'll get back to that. That's I forgot what the, the point we were on. And if you just talk long enough, eventually we'll get back to it. $290 million was the bill that they tried to infuse in the tax surplus or in the state budget surplus to give to Miller Park and Bamfield to make these improvements. Well, there's a pretty big gap two months later from $290 million, and that was sort of an astounding total to me when that came out. I remember hearing that article or that news tidbit on the air during the morning show and thinking, holy cow, $282.90 million? What needs to be fixed that costs that much? And two months later, that's almost doubled. That's up to four fifty, almost five hundred million in repairs. It is important to note. I don't believe that there are so many things wrong right now with Amfam Field that it would require four hundred and fifty million dollars this year to fix everything. I believe that this is an amount of money that will be spread out over the course of ten to fifteen to twenty years, where there are probably things that need to be repaired right now. Things that have to be repaired in the roof or, I don't know, I guess there's cracking concrete. I read some articles about that. That doesn't sound great to me. I'm not a handyman, so I don't know exactly what all these things are. But there's probably 50 to 75 to $100 million of things that could get fixed right now. And then I'm assuming the rest of that money is in anticipation of other things being needed to be addressed over the course of the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. But it was quite a jump from 282.90 to about $450 million. And is there some maneuvering here with Mark Atanasio where he could be asking Major League Baseball to step in and be the bad guy so that it does end up with the taxpayers and it doesn't come out of his pocket? I guess that's possible. This is all theorizing and it's all reckless speculation. That could be happening. There could be stuff happening within the state legislature as it relates to Major League Baseball and why Rob Manford was in town and all that kind of stuff. I'm not privy to a lot of that, but there is probably some of that going on. How this is going to end up is, yeah, it's probably going to end up with the taxpayer paying it, wouldn't you say? At the end of the day, that feels like a very likely end game here, that they're going to find some way like the five-county tax, or if they reintroduce that or find a different way to do it, that it's going to end up being with the taxpayers of Wisconsin or the five-county area or Milwaukee. But we'll see where it ends up. Rob Manford was in town, and he did an interview about this yesterday, and the local media was trying to push him on the, what if this doesn't happen? What if these repairs aren't made? What they wanted him to do was to say, well, if these things aren't done, then we are leaving Milwaukee, Then the team is going to leave Milwaukee. That's what they wanted him to say. He said, it's a gem of a park. We just need to make sure that the upkeep is there, that it stays the gem that it is now. As, I don't want to say, well, how do I call, what, what should we call Rob Manford? <laughs> I don't know, skeevy he's got a little bit of that to him as much as he has that air to him I would say the minute 10 minute 15 sound clip I heard from his interview yesterday at Ampham Field set me at ease a bit because it's easy to get riled up reading all the stuff on social media and think oh my god the Brewers are gonna leave in five to ten years he made it sound like our expectation is this will get addressed they will figure out a way for the funding it's a gem of a stadium we just need to keep it a gem of a stadium our intention is not to leave blah 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 I did find it actually kind of calming. Rob Manfred seems like the kind of guy who would send his food back at a restaurant, right? For some minor detail. Seems like he would be that kind of guy. Rob Manfred feels like a 10% tipper to me. 
But that audio did actually make me feel a little bit better after the storm that brewed up on social media about the Brewers potentially leaving. Now, Major League Baseball does eventually want to be in Charlotte, it sounds like. I don't know why, but it is a bigger market. It's actually a pretty big media market. I can certainly understand them wanting to be in Nashville, which adds another interesting layer to the story where that's the AAA affiliate for the Brewers. Would they pull the old switcheroo? Would, would Nashville then become the Brewers and would Milwaukee then become the AAA affiliate? I know they want to be in that market. And there is the subplot this year of how the A's have let the Oakland Alameda Coliseum fall into disrepair. Now they're going to Vegas and there are other stories out there in cities that want teams. But I just don't see any chance this team leaves. I do think eventually they figure out the funding. They'll spread it out over the course of a decade or two and they'll be able to rehabilitate whatever they need to. But that was a huge story on Brewer's social media yesterday, ending the day with that Manfred interview. I will say this. My wife and I go to a lot of games. When you cross that bridge, well, the first game we went to this year, when you cross over that main thoroughfare bridge and we got to look at the roof, I said, literally, this is true, I said, ooh, the roof looks rough. It looks rusted. It needs a coat of paint or two or three. I didn't think we'd be talking about a 480-whatever-million-dollar bill to rehabilitate the stadium or to renovate the stadium. But I did have a moment, we both did, when we crossed over the bridge this year and thought, ooh, that doesn't look great. Inside, it feels the same. I don't know. I just don't notice anything being that down in the dumps when you walk into the stadium. And I've been going to games since it opened. But there is visually from the outside, the roof does not appear to be in the best of shape once you get up and close to it. All right, let's talk about the Brewers' series win against the defending champion Astros. Who had Corbin Burns getting rocked on Monday and then Colin Ray and Adrian Hauser throwing shutout baseball on Tuesday and Wednesday, both in wins? They didn't give up a run. The team didn't on Tuesday or Wednesday. Burns had a bad outing on Monday. Kind of looked like 2019 Burns. A lot of home run balls. That has not been an issue that has plagued him a lot in recent years. Remember, that's why he got sent back down in 2019 when he was supposed to make the leap from bullpen to starter, and he was just really bad. His ERA was around nine. It wasn't until the pandemic year that we started to get the Corbin that we now know and love, Cy Corbin. But he was giving up a ton of home runs, four home runs on Monday. Brewers get beat down on Monday. Brewers and Garfield, not fans of Mondays. Last week, they lost 18-1. to This week, they lose 12-2. to And in both games, Mike Brasso was pitching by the end of it. Not ideal. But then Colin Ray, much maligned on this podcast, Colin Ray, Tip your cap. Give credit where credit is due. He was sharp on Tuesday. Five and a third scoreless. They desperately needed a good start. They get the win behind Colin Ray on Tuesday. And then our boy, odd year Adrian, getting it done on Wednesday. He has been great in four starts. And in particular, his last two hasn't given up a run. He goes five and a third scoreless. Brewers get the four nothing win. Owen Miller, I wrote a whole blog about Owen Miller. Had an over four last night. But up until then, having arguably one of the best offensive months in a Brewer jersey that I've ever seen. And I think the odd thing is, myself included, Brewers fans haven't really been getting locked into him up until this week. His month of May is up there with anybody I've ever seen. Any of the great Prince Fielder months, any of the great Paul Molitor months, I know those are fighting words, any of the great Robin Yount months, the great Yelly months from 2018-2019, Ryan Braun from about... 07 till 2012 or 2013, his month of May is up there with any of them. He is batting. Now, he's probably under after an 0 4 yesterday. But he was batting 406 with an OPS well over 1,000, four home runs, six doubles. The guy is just raking. What a signing that's going to be if he can even keep up 60% of this. I don't know that anybody expects Owen Miller to continue on the tear that he's on. It would be great if he could. 
but what a run he has been on in the month of May. And when they traded for him, I didn't give it much thought. I knew he was a local guy. I knew he was from Fredonia. They keep saying Mequon, Mequon or Fredonia. Six of one, half dozen of the other. Mequon would take offense to that probably, but proximity-wise, they're not that far apart. And he's the Wisconsin kid that was playing for the Guardians, and that's basically all I knew about him when they made the trade. They traded him for cash, I believe, and a player to be named later. If you ever have a chance to Google the meme cash considerations, it's one of my favorite memes of all time. Anytime a player gets traded or you acquire somebody for cash considerations. Very funny meme. Check that out. Good meme But they get him low-key, and basically the only headline was that he was a Wisconsin guy, and we all kind of thought, oh, that's nice. I looked at his numbers when they picked him up. In his first year in Cleveland, he played 60 games and hit 204. Last year, he played in 130 games, and he hit 243. Had six home runs, 50 driven, and, you know, it didn't blow you away. He just fit the Brewer profile for me. The Brewers are always into these guys on the infield, and he can play outfield too, but they're really in love with those utility guys, those super utility players. Craig Council was kind of like that too in his playing days where you could play him pretty much anywhere, third base, shortstop, second base, and Owen Miller could do that. So when they acquire him, The numbers don't blow you away offensively, but good enough. And he's a utility guy that they can use in a variety of spots. It just made sense to me. I did not expect the numbers that we've seen so far from him this year. And you could argue he's still young, 26 years old. And like I said, only two years in Cleveland. Really, he played a year and a half. Well, really, he played a little over one year. If you just added the games up, he's played 190 games. You could argue that he is still getting comfortable at the major league level and getting adjusted to major league pitching. He hit everywhere in high school, in college, and he could still be adjusting to the major league level. Is this what he's going to be? Maybe not, but he certainly could be an improvement over last year in Cleveland as he gets more and more comfortable. And He seems to be doing that for his hometown team. He's been a lot of fun to watch. He could be in the running. I guess I haven't been paying real close attention to other players having massive months in Major League Baseball. But based on the numbers that we've seen from Owen Miller in the month of May, he is going to be on the short list of candidates to be a player of the month in the National League. He's been that good. Plus, you can't go wrong with the Wisconsin kid last name Miller. I've been playing this on the air all week. It's Miller time. It's Miller time. I love the way Bill Murray says that in Ghostbusters. Hold on. Oh, here we go. And we have the tools. <laughs> we have the talent. It's Miller time. Yeah, it says it. M-I-L-L-A-H almost. It's Miller time. You can't go wrong with that, with the Wisconsin boy, last name Miller, raking for the Brewers. That's a marketing dream right there. But they get the win with Owen Miller going yard and with Odd-Year Adrian on Wednesday. Then last night, not great. Silver lining last night, Julio Tehran, pretty good. They picked him up. They've needed to get some help starting pitching-wise. We've talked about that ad nauseum in the last three or four podcasts with all of the injuries. Lauer on the IL, Miley on the IL, Woodruff on the IL, Ashby on the IL. They needed to do something. As we talked about on Monday, maybe, or last Friday, it's very difficult to execute a trade in Major League Baseball this early in the year because the team you're talking to, if you're trying to get a pitcher in May, in mid-May or early May, the team that you're negotiating with knows that your position is not great. You're not in a very good negotiating position. And because of the added playoff teams in Major League Baseball, where now so many more teams get in, You have to find a trade partner who is out of it already in May or can't build the case for themselves finding their way back into the wild card chase. That really reduces you. Obviously, the Oakland A's are well out of it, and the Kansas City Royals are well out of it. Beyond that, you could make a case for almost any team in baseball. If they win 9 of 10, if they win 8 of 10, they could be right back in the wild card chase. So you have to find a trade partner that's willing to talk this early in the year. 
that's basically out of the playoff race already, and then you have to pay a premium to get a guy that early in the year. For that reason, you see teams like the Brewers or any team with that many injuries try to scour the waiver wire. They try to find a nice couch on the side of the road, and that couch's name was Julio Tehran, who actually was pretty good in Atlanta in the early part of his career. Not pretty good. He was a two-time All-Star. He finished second in Rookie of the Year balloting in 2013. He was an All-Star in 2014. He was an All-Star in 2016. And he put up good numbers all the way up until 2019. Had a rough year. Then he had some injuries. And then he had not pitched in Major League Baseball since 2021. And in 2021, he made one start, five innings of one-run ball, just like last night, though. He only made one start in Detroit, and he had not pitched in Major League Baseball since. He had been kicking around the Mexican League and a couple of different independent leagues. But he was picked up by the Padres and signed to a minor league deal and had been pitching in their minor league system. His numbers weren't great there, but he had one really bad start in his first start in AAA, but since then had an ERA of the in the mid-threes, something like that, if you take that one start out of it. And they didn't want to bring him up to the major league level. That gave him an option to sign anywhere else, and the Brewers, desperate for starting pitching, signed him, and he was pretty solid. Five strikeouts, five innings of one-run ball. Can we expect that going forward? It would be nice because you still need to bridge about two months' worth of gap here with injuries. But he was pretty solid. That has to be a silver lining to a 5 nothing loss. Offense just couldn't do anything. And the Giants were going bullpen game last night, and the Brewers couldn't do anything. So they sit at 27-23, and 23, a game-and-a-half lead in the NL Central. That's where they were when we talked on Monday, so not a whole lot has changed in terms of the standings. Cardinals did win last night. They're five back now instead of six back. Back at it tonight, Freddie Peralta on the hill. Three more against the Giants, and then a pretty rare off day on Memorial Day Monday. The Brewers don't typically have off on Memorial Day Monday, but they do. One of the few teams that does in Major League Baseball this year. Uh, Three more at AmFam Field, that crumbling AmFam Field, a disintegrating AmFam Field this weekend. All right, let's talk about the Packers in the draft in the NFL. What an announcement that was in the early part of this week. There had been rumors on Twitter for years, and I literally, I think going back to 2021 was the first time I had seen a legit rumor from a legit source that the Packers would be in the running to host the NFL draft. They didn't get it in 2024. It's going to Detroit. And then once it decided on Detroit, I kind of thought, oh, maybe they're out of the running then. Maybe that's Maybe they decided like the Super Bowl in Green Bay, which will never happen. But for similar reasons – hotels, restaurants, hospitality, infrastructure, things like that. I figured, oh, maybe it won't happen. But then the word came down early this week that they are going to get the draft in 2025. They haven't set the dates yet. I feel very confident that April 24th through the 26th, are those will be the dates. They're going to be the dates. I also feel confident that on Monday, hotels in Green Bay were already fielding calls on those dates, and Airbnbs and Verbos were seeing surge rates on those particular dates in Green Bay. It's going to be pricey to stay in Green Bay because they don't have a ton of hotels, and they don't have a ton of that kind of stuff. But if you have a house that you can rent or something in Green Bay, you could make a pretty penny over the course of that week, I would think. Well, that's big news, and because I'm drivable distance and a lot of my buddies are, I'm sure we're going to be there for it. Where they're going to stage it, I have no idea. I did have to have a chuckle at the national writers on social media. You knew this was going to happen. The national writers from New York or L.A., they're used to those big markets, and they're used to covering the draft in much bigger markets. They were acting like they were going to have to go on the Oregon Trail. (laughs) They were acting like they were headed to a dirt road town with a saloon and a bank and people riding horses and carriages. I mean, come on. Is there internet? I saw those things. Is there even internet in Green Bay? Just relax. Everybody's going to be okay. Sheboygan hosted the Ryder Cup. I know the Ryder Cup doesn't generate the same populace that the draft does, 
But if Sheboygan can host the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup, certainly Green Bay will survive a week with the NFL draft. You're going to have to have people staying in Appleton. They're going to be driving in. There are going to be plenty of people that stay at the American Club in Sheboygan. There are going to be people staying probably in Milwaukee and Chicago and having to do a much longer drive to cover it in Green Bay. That's just the way it's going to be. But from a fan perspective, take out the 150 writers. Who cares about them? (laughs) Take out the 150 national writers who were bitching about this on Twitter, acting like there's no internet and there's no hotels, and (laughs) I don't know what was going on there. But if you think about this from a fan perspective, what a place for it to go because it's a pilgrimage. Packers, the title town, and Lambeau Field. If you're an NFL fan, if you're a fan of the NFL, maybe not a fan of the Packers or maybe a rival of the Packers, even the Bears fans in my life and the Lions fans and the Vikings fans, people that hate Packer fans, that hate me, have told me they hate me to my face. Even they have an appreciation for Green Bay's place in NFL history and Lambeau Field's place as the Mecca of football and Lombardi and the whole deal. Even if you pure straight hate the Packers as a team because you're the fan of another team or a division rival or whatever, it's a trip that you feel like you have to make. It's a trip that you want to go check out. Lambeau Field and the Packer Hall of Fame and the origin story and the publicly traded franchise, the publicly supported franchise. It is just one of those things from a fan perspective as annoying and as big of a hassle as it's going to be probably traffic-wise and hotel-wise. It is going to be quite an experience for the fans of football that are going to go to Green Bay for the first time. There will be plenty of them making that pilgrimage to the draft in 2025. And the build-up of the Titletown District is a big deal, too. A lot more restaurants. They've got the Hinterland Brewery down there. They've got the slide. I love that picture of Mark Murphy going down the slide. That it will forever be one of my favorite Packer pictures. Lodge Kohler is certainly not going to be big enough to hold as much as many people as they needed to, but... That added hotel in that area, but the building up of the Titletown District played a key role in the Packers getting the draft in 2025. Say what you want about Mark Murphy, and people have said plenty about Mark Murphy, especially as it relates to the Rodgers fiasco and his meddling a little bit in player signings and that kind of stuff. And every once in a while, you give Mark Murphy a live mic, and it just does not go as the way you want it to go, maybe. Sometimes it's unintentionally funny. But Mark Murphy has had a lot of stuff said about him. Mark Murphy is the central figurehead of the building up of the Titletown District, and he had this as a stated goal during his presidency, which will be over by then or will be near over. The bylaws of the Packer, whatever, Constitution, the bylaws of it dictate that nobody can be president past the age of 70. I'm pretty sure 2025 will be his year 70. He'll probably see this through or that event through, and then I would think would be done at the end of that year. I don't know who the next person is going to be or how they're going to figure that out. But this has been a stated goal during his time as the Packer team president, and he accomplished that goal. And a lot of that was fundraising. Some of that was taxpayer money. But a lot of it was building up that area around Lambeau Field and making it a tourist attraction. He successfully did that, and now he gets to bear the fruit of that in 2025. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a congested mess. But as long as you have patience, just know going in, you're going to need to be patient about the whole thing. As long as you have a little bit of patience with traffic and hotels and that kind of stuff, it's going to be a really fun time. Again, I believe the dates will be April 24th. Breaking news here on the Strange Brew Podcast, April 24th through the 26th at Lambeau Field. It should be a great time. But basically the only people that were upset about it were the 150 or 200 or so national writers that were upset about the restaurant selections. There's a Happy Joe's in Green Bay, everybody. Go to Happy Joe's. 
Get the Taco Pizza at Happy Joe's. To any national writer listening to this podcast, go to Happy Joe's. Fine dining at its peak. Get a country and in sweets and a Happy Joe's and... You'll think you're in New York. You'll think you're in L.A. I'm also very excited to be able to boo Roger Goodell when he gets down whatever stage. If they're in Lambeau, if they're outside of Lambeau in the atrium, wherever they're going to be. I am very excited for a good old-fashioned in-person lusty boo of Roger Goodell. It was organized team activities this week as well. So we saw a lot of video of Jordan Love completing passes without any duress around him to wide open wide receivers. I don't know if it gets you jacked up. More power to you. I did notice, this is just an observation, my eyes and my brain, and they could be wrong, and they've been wrong many times before. A few writers threw up videos of him throwing touchdown passes to Christian Watson. It looks to me like Christian Watson's put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle weight. The one knock on him his rookie year was that he couldn't quite stay on the field, and a part of that probably was the lanky frame on, what is he, 6'3 or 6'4"? He got knocked around pretty good in some of those games, and that led to some injuries that kept him on the sideline. But when he was fully healthy, how exciting was he to watch? One of the best rookie wide receivers, if not the best in the NFL. Just based on looking at those videos, it looks to me like he's gotten thicker, and I think that he has probably put on, I would guess, 10 to 15, maybe even 20 pounds of muscle. If that doesn't impact his speed, look out. If that can keep him healthier and he can sustain more hits down the field and he still has that elite speed, Watch out. If he's going to be on the field for 17 games, he should pile up some big numbers this year. But, yeah, I'm excited for all of it, for football to get underway, for the draft, for the booing. It, it should be good. And then, finally, in the NBA, are the Celtics going to do this? <laughs> are they going to come all the way back? I think they are. They win last night, Game 5 in Boston, after looking deader than anything that has ever died in Game 3, getting blown out down 3-0. They finally get it together, and Miami finally started to miss some shots. I've been texting with a buddy of mine from college back and forth, just astonished at how this Heat team can be on fire for this long. We've seen teams and players be on fire for a game. We've seen teams and players be on fire for two or three games, sometimes even for a series. But over the course of two and a half playoff series, that's how locked in the Heat have been. Caleb Martin looks like a first-team All-NBA selection. In Game 3 in the first half, Caleb Martin, who was cut by the Hornets, a team that won 20 games, He was 6 of 6 and 4 of 4 from beyond the arc. That team is just unconscious. Well, finally the shots are not going down. And as I was texting my buddy Nick, you feel like this Heat team is one bad shooting night away from having Never Never Land. Or is that what I want? Is that the one I want? Hold on. Is that the one I want? (laughs) Maybe. From having it all evaporate around them. Because when you're on fire, I've been told, I don't know, but I've read. When you're on fire, the basket looks like an ocean. You feel like everything you're throwing in there up is going to go in. But then if you miss two or three in a row, you get snapped back into reality. They had not been snapped back into reality for over a month. And we were texting and saying, I think if this team has one bad shooting night, that may jar them loose into reality. And we may see them fall apart. Well, they couldn't hit shots in game four. Boston wins on the road. And you just knew Miami without Gabe Vincent now, too. They've had some injuries, too. Without Gabe Vincent, Max Struess has been hobbled. You just knew they weren't going to go into Boston and win Game 5. They get blown out last night. And to me, Game 6 is Game 7 for the Heat. And Jimmy Butler said all the things you expect him to say after the game last night. Oh, we're going to go and get this in 6. Don't worry about it. We're going to go home and win. Everything you expect a confident player to say. But if they don't win Game 6, they ain't winning Game 7. That I can guarantee you. So if you're going to bet on the Celtics, bet on the series. If you think the Celtics can win 
in game six, you may as well bet the series and get the better price. I think it's plus 125 for them to win the series. And they're going to be probably, are they going to be minus on the road? I think they might be. The odds will be better for you if you think the Celtics can win game six. There's no doubt they're going to win game seven. I would just bet the series price. And that puts me in the blender again because as we talked about on Monday, the one good thing about the Heat staying hot is that I've been able to enjoy the Celtics on Twitter, the Celtics fans on Twitter melting down, all the Celtics fans that chirped the Bucks fans for losing to the Heat. It was very funny to watch them collapse in on themselves. Well, now they're revitalized, but I also kind of hate the Heat, so I wouldn't hate to see a piece of history. I don't know where I'm at anymore. I don't know. I don't know north from south at this point. But it. If the Heat don't win this on Saturday, I don't think they're going to win on the road on Memorial Day Monday back in Boston because that crowd's going to be going crazy. There was this tidbit on Bucks Twitter. Drew Holiday was talking about his matchup with Jimmy Butler and how he got burned basically all series. He was on the sideline stroll podcast. He had this to say. Some Bucks fans weren't happy about it. In the whole league, what, what was it like and how do you look back on it? How I look back on it now was it was fun. I played a game to go against the best players. I played defense to play against the best players, no matter what position or however it may be. While I was in it, I was hot. I mean, I'm getting my ass busted. <laughs> like <I'm, laughs> And then he started talking shit, I think, was the last game or something like that. And it's like, yeah, that's what competitors do. And Jimmy, Jimmy is the ultimate. I mean, JB is the ultimate competitor. But you hate losing. Like, I, I, I hate losing. So that's what he had to say about the series and how Jimmy really did dominate him in games four and five in those comebacks. I don't know what's to be upset about. Bucks Twitter was kind of upset about that. I think Drew's just stating the obvious, something we could all see with our eyes that whole series, that Jimmy was in a different planet on another level. And Drew, by all measures, is one of the best on-ball defenders of a guard or a wing in the league, and he just couldn't do anything because Jimmy was that good. I think he goes on to say that. Would you have done anything different against him now, now that you have the time to to think about it? I made the decision that I made in that moment or in those moments, and and I stuck with him, and I stuck with my guns. And a lot of the plays Jimmy made, there was nothing that I could do, and there's nothing that anybody could do. It didn't yeah, so I think that's probably true. A lot of Bucks fans, because of the success that the Bucks had with Giannis guarding Jimmy in 2021, Giannis was on him like 60 or 65% of the time, and Jimmy had a terrible series, and that was the series they swept the Heat in 2021. A lot of Bucks fans were mad that that adjustment wasn't made. A lot of Bucks fans were mad with Drew that he was insistent on guarding Jimmy, and he kind of broke all that down in that interview. But, yeah, I think he's just very aware of what happened, and he's just – Owning up to it, putting his hand up and saying, that's on me. I don't know if there's anything to get mad about in that interview. All right, that'll do it for us here. Have a happy, safe Memorial Day weekend. We'll be back after it on Tuesday next week. We are off on Monday. We'll give you the podcast on Tuesday. Until then, have a good weekend. 